Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pardon My Pancreas. My name is Matt Vandevecht, and I'm a certified trainer and nutritionist, one of your hosts today, and the other host is Ali Abdul Karim. He is a social media influencer, an incredible guy, and we are both type 1 diabetics here to share our knowledge and experiences with you. We occasionally interview people that are very knowledgeable in the diabetic world, sometimes doctors, sometimes influencers, people living with it. And this episode is brought to you by FTF Warrior, an online health coaching company for diabetics. And we will go further by saying this is not medical advice in any manner. We are not doctors. We will never be doctors. And nothing said on this podcast is meant to replace your doctor's order. So consult your doctors before you make changes. Without any further ado, let's get into... What's up, Pardon My Pancreas podcast listeners? Today we are continuing our Meet the Scientists uh, special. We have another special guest. We have an incredible guest today who obtained her MD degree at University of Barcelona in 2008. She finished her residency in rheumatology and a two-year training program in pediatric rheumatology. Today we're welcoming Stephanie Quesada-Massacs. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me. So we want to talk to you a little bit about uh, pediatric rheumatology at first. I would like to know what that is. <laughs> so pediatric rheumatology is a specialty where we study autoimmune diseases that affect children. So autoimmune diseases that start before the person is 16 years uh, old. Mm. And in the various range of these autoimmune diseases, type 1D is not one of them. But the autoimmune diseases, they sometimes they happen in the same patient or in the same family with mm. a higher frequency than we see in the general population. Yeah. So that's the reason why autoimmune diseases like type 1D are connected to others like arthritis, for instance. Am I correct in assuming that once you've um, been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that you're more likely to be diagnosed with other autoimmune diseases? The chances are a little bit higher. Um, but this is nothing that is going to happen for sure, absolutely not. Okay. It's just that if an autoimmune disease happens, this means like there is a genetical basis that probably predisposes to that to happen. And also there are some mechanisms of, of control of the immune system that are not working properly. Mm-hmm. And the risk of having like a different kind of error is a little bit higher. But it's also true that probably these kind of errors are not enough for the disease to happen. So something else has to happen in the organ uh, of interest, like the pancreas or like the joint. So the thing of having one autoimmune disease doesn't mean that you are going to have another for sure. Absolutely not. Okay. It doesn't mean that your daughters or sons are going to have an autoimmune disease. Absolutely not. Good news. But it means <laughs> that the risk being honest is a little bit higher. That's the truth. Okay. Hmm. Uh, what would you say is more of a is there a common autoimmune disease that's specifically been noticed below 16 years of age so in pediatrics what is the most common autoimmune so in pediatric rheumatology the most common autoimmune disease is juvenile idiopathic arthritis but Mm. still its prevalence is really low in the general population it's still considered one rare disease because of the low uh the low the low percentage of population that affects and it's also very heterogeneous, so um, yeah, we, we, we think that, so we subdivide it in seven different categories, and we think that probably we englobe under this umbrella term diseases that are not just one disease, they are a group of diseases with some common manifestations in the joint. Hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, what led you into studying rheumatology? So I got curious about how the immune system works and I got curious about why it fails and how mm-hmm. it fails and how this can be corrected. And I got interested in research um, pretty early in my career. And when I just started the residency, I also got involved in the PhD program because I, I knew that I wanted to continue pursuing at least a little part of my career in the research part. So I really love uh, the practice with, with patients and visiting patients and the contact with them. But I also uh, love the challenge that research supposed to try to give these answers to questions that are very important. And some of them, they still don't have an answer nowadays. And we need those answers in order to be, to be able to develop better treatments. So we really want to find the, the answers. Yeah. So I got interest um, in research really, really, really early. Uh, now, did you have um, a trigger, I guess you could say, like, did someone in your family suffer from uh, anything that made you more curious about the immune system? So there are some autoimmune diseases in my family, but um, the reason why I chose rheumatology was because it was my hobby. What, uh, really? That, yes, somehow. Oh, wow. So I realized while I was, uh, so back in Spain where I studied medicine, we have this national exam once we finish the degree. And we are for approx- approximately one year studying the whole subjects that we were that we were studying during the during the degree, and we have an exam after that. And every time I kind of got bored of studying, I studied rheumatology and I studied <laughs> immunology. So immunology and rheumatology were definitely my hobbies. I had the books always with, with me just in case I got bored studying different. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know that that's what you want to do, right? It's like, okay, where do I go to when I don't want to do anything else? Yeah, this is when I realized that it was, (laughs) it had become my hobby somehow, yeah. That's incredible. I I can't say that I was the same with studying. I I had a period in my life where I was not a great student. (laughs) And it wasn't until later, like you mentioned, you found a passion. I found my passion in nutrition and fitness. And once I found that, I had the same thing. I really enjoyed studying it. And I went out of my way to pay for extra classes so I could keep studying it. And so it sounds like, you know, with it being your hobby, that you knew this is where you're going to go. You're going to study this and you're going to do this for your career. And uh, it seems like you found a great spot to do so at the La Jolla Institute. Yes, yes. And, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you do here at the La Jolla Institute? Yes, for sure. So I'm involved in different research projects. Um, in some of them, I'm working with the MPOT samples, which are samples... Um, of human pancreases. So Empathy is an organization that processes these samples and when we have a good idea about an, an experiment to test on them, we, we, we send them a proposal and they approve the proposals or not and they send us the, the, the samples to, to do the, the experiments. Mm. And some of my of my research is um, using these samples and testing the molecules that can be involved in inflammation and that are present in the pancreas to try to figure out where they are, which cells are expressing these molecules, what's the meaning of that, um, how interesting can be to plan an intervention on these molecules or not. This is so, and some of the projects that I work on are about that. And also on the other hand, um, I in our lab we work in collaboration with the company Novo Nordisk, mm. and I'm working collaborating with them in some projects where we test different drugs and where we study the mechanism of the disease 
um, in animal models, so mm. particularly in mice. Okay, so we've heard a lot about the mice models and how uh, I've assumed that it seems like the mice models are more for the introductory lessons into this because the mice models don't typically translate into the human models. Exactly. Yeah, so the, nowadays we have, I think, 200-something uh, good cures for type <laughs> 1 diabetes, for diabetes in the mouse. Oh, man. But we don't have this amount of cures um, in humans. Right. The reason is because the mouse system probably is not so complicated. And yep. some of the molecules involved are similar but are not exactly the same. Some of the molecules involved do, do similar functions but maybe not exactly the same. Yeah. For that reason, they don't translate. But it's a good way to explore um, how, uh, how it works and where the errors are. Even um, if it's not going to give us a full picture, but at least it gives us a very a good idea to continue the study in the human tissue. So mm -hmm. it's very important for us to really be able to study the human tissue because the mouse, the human, the, the mouse tissue, it, it doesn't provide us with the full picture of the of the problem. Right. And when we study the blood from the humans, yeah. we have a good idea about the immune system and we can really ask a lot of questions to the blood, mm. but still it doesn't tell us which cells are in the real organ yeah. and what are these cells doing in the organ. Maybe they are being like good guys in the blood but not so good guys in the organ. And we really need to see the organ in order to know exactly what's going on there in its particular ambient because the cells, sometimes when you change the ambient, the influences, they switch from being good guys to be bad guys. Oh no. Yeah, they can do that. <laughs> they, they have a lot of influence about the ambient where they are. Really? Yes. Huh. So would you be able to simplify the process of becoming a type 1 diabetic as far as uh, what happens in the body, what attacks what, and why does that lead to where someone like me needs insulin? Yeah, so nowadays the um, most accepted theory is so Type 1 diabetes is a complex autoimmune disease that mostly right. affects the pancreas, but it's not just that one phenomenon is necessary to happen in order to start having the disease. So different things have to happen in order to start having the disease. Mm -hmm. For instance, probably a genetical basis that predisposes the individual to this kind of um, disease has to be present. Also, probably something from the outside have to happen, mm. something that puts the system in a not so good equilibrium, like a viral infection or something related with the ambient or with the diet. We don't really know all the, um, all the triggers and all the actors who play a role on the disease, but we know that probably it's a multifactorial thing, not just one actor doing something. Right. So once these actors start, play, start playing, what happens is that there is a disequilibrium in the, in what we think it happens is that there is a disequilibrium in the immune system, understanding uh, which cells of your body are, are good and have to be preserved and in which one something is going on and they need to be attacked. So what happens in the pancreas is that the beta cells, the one that produces insulin, are attacked, we think, for the T cells, it seems like maybe the CD8 T cells, they are the ones that are more abundant in the pancreas during the disease. So we think that they have a, 
a, a big role in the disease and they they um, they intervene in this process of attacking and, and destroying the, the good cells, the, wa the ones that produce the insulin. So at the end, what happens in, in type 1 diabetes is that the beta cells or are destroyed or they are there, but they are not able to produce insulin. Mm -hmm. And we think that when, when a good amount of these cells are unfunctional or are being destroyed is when the disease starts. Sometimes during the honeymoon, um, the beta cells that are there dysfunctional, they have like a process where they are functional again for some time, but then they are destroyed and attack again, or they are stopping producing insulin again, and it's when the need for insulin comes. So at the end, the need for insulin comes because the beta cells that are in the pancreas, in the islets, they are not able to produce a sufficient amount of insulin to to, to, to cover the needs of the body when we eat, or when we do exercise, or when we when, when we leave, basically, right. yeah. And so as a result, we have to manually give insulin to survive. Yeah, nowadays this is the treatment um, <clears throat> to, to give the hormone that is missing in order to keep the system going. Mm -hmm. But it would be good to have, to find a way to make the beta cells that are in the pancreas work again, or to be able to stop the attack uh, on the beta cells while mm -hmm. the attack is going on yeah. in the early stages. So is that where your research is focusing on? Is trying to find why the beta cells were targeted from the immune system or how to protect the beta cells that are still functioning? Yeah, so in my research actually we are trying to understand which molecules that can be show why when the beta cell is attacked or that can be shown by the beta cell and this can make them more susceptible to be attacked. Uh, which of these molecules are being expressed and which which cells are feeling attracted for this molecule, so which cells are going there to do something. Hmm. Yeah, so we are trying to find some of the bad guys of the yeah. story. Yeah. Find those villains and flush yeah. them out. Exactly. Sounds like your work is very detailed. Yeah, it is. And very specific. Yeah, it is. It is. And also in the mechanistic part of the study, so the work is also detailed because we, we want to know um, what is the role of the of these cells in the animal model of these cells that we think they are involved in the animal model mm -hmm. and then we will we will test if this is also or if seems also possible in humans or, or, or not right uh, so you mentioned NPOD a while back you get a lot of your pancreatic slices from deceased humans Correct. it's the, <laughs> the truth about it um, they have to be organ donors and registered with NPOD as pancreatic donors, I believe. Correct. Um, why is it more important to have, or I guess what benefits do you receive from uh, studying the actual pancreas cells and, and um, tissues versus uh, mice? So the, the tissue that you receive is still living, is that correct? Sort of? Like um, it's perfused and um, it's living tissue or is it sliced? No, nowadays in MPOT, they, they develop um, this possibility of uh, asking for leaf, for a live tissue that mm -hmm. where you can use the tissue or you can use the tissue to produce, to produce these human islets. But right. mostly, I'm not working with that nowadays. In, oh. in the lab, we are developing the, the organoids. Okay. Um, but nowadays, we put the technique um, to work with the with the um, obtaining the mice um, obtaining the the islets from from the mouse, 
and also um, we have some collaborations with with other companies that can provide us these these human islets mm-hmm. with to work with and to be able to answer some questions in a um, in a living in a living uh, situation instead of with uh, just one cut point situation. But the slices that I'm working on they are fixed, which means they are dead, but like in a photo. So mm. everything that they were expressing, all of the markers, everything that was going on at this moment in these cells yeah. is there in okay. the tissue. So it's very difficult to process some uh, to process samples from the pancreas because the pancreas uh, contains en- enzymes that degradates the tissue, like the ones oh. for the digestion and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is that uh, the pancreas has to be processed in a very specific, very clean way in order to have slides with good quality tissue that you can really interrogate and that you can really trust the results. For that reason, it's important for us to collaborate with Empot because all the tissue samples that we receive, are, they really have an excellent quality. So you mm. can really interrogate these samples and and the, what they provide, it, it's, it's, it's really a very good high quality information. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. I'm glad that you're able to uh, receive such high quality samples and then I believe that would give you more accurate results. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, how long have you been working with NPOD? So now for one year, um, but in our lab they are collaborating with NPOD science a few years ago. I'm not exactly, I don't know exactly how many, I don't remember, but it's been a long, a long-term collaboration. Okay. Um, what are you doing with La Jolla Institute? What is uh, your main focus? So the research in type 1 diabetes. So I'm a postdoc here mm-hmm. in Bonnerrat's lab, and the research in type 1 diabetes is, is my, my main function here. Okay. Uh, I know that you mentioned you're investigating the role of different immune cells, like cytokines and other signaling molecules in disease initiation and progression. What can you tell us about that, if you were to expand on it? If I want to expand on it. So, for instance, I was recently involved in a study where we were studying the expression of IL-6 in the beta cells and in the alpha cells because we were not so sure about... So, IL-6 is an inflammatory cytokine. We know that it has inflammatory um, functions, but we were not sure about if the... and, 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 And it's really, really closely involved with the immune cells, but we were not sure about if this cytokine was being uh, produced or expressed in the pancreas, and we saw that yes, it was, and the cells that are producing this IL-6 are the beta cells and the alpha cells, so the cells that produce the insulin and the glucagon. And this was an important finding, and also we saw that the uh, samples of patients without diabetes are expressing it too, which it means um, that we really need to figure out, so how is the, role of this cytokine. So it's a cytokine that protects the pancreas or it's a cytokine that uh, maybe has also an inflammatory function there. We are not really so sure about that, but it's there. This We are totally sure about that. And it's there for a reason. Now it would be nice to figure out the reason <laughs> and to be able to to better know what what to do with this information, right? And also, I'm working in a project where I'm I'm studying the expression of the of the MHC2, um, that is a, a molecule that you can find in the membrane of different cells, and it's supposed. There are some papers that say that this this molecule can be expressed for the beta cells, but there is not a clear reason why, and we are 
trying to figure out um, what what we see is if we really see this molecule in the beta cells or not, which cells are expressing it, which can be the meaning of it, what can we do about it, what this means, which cells feel attracted for this molecule, and well, do we have any other potential bad guy to maybe pay attention to? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, which bad guys are hiding still, right? Yes. <laughs> they tend to, hi- to hide when we look for them. So you mentioned that you analyze you know, the human pancreas tissues obtained from NPOD. Uh, using immunostaining techniques. What does that mean? So, for instance, one of the techniques that we use um, is we interrogate the slides with um, with, uh, flu- with the fluorescence microscopy and how this works. So, the samples that we receive from Empot, they are they are so they they come in a in a in a glass, a very 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 thin layer of them. And uh, they, they come with paraffin, for instance, is one of the ways of they can come in. So what they do in the lab is that we put this layer of paraffin out, mm. uh, chemically told, so with chemicals, yeah. and we expose the tissue. So the mm. tissue is expressing all the proteins oh, and the yeah. receptors and all the molecules that are in the cell. So once we have the tissue exposed, we can put a primary antibody that is going to identify our molecule of interest or the receptor or the protein of interest and then we will put a secondary antibody which will have a marker hmm. like a fluorescent marker and when we put now this light in the microscope this marker when the laser goes through it it will give us back a light that the that the system can can interpret can interpret and can construct a really high quality precise image hmm. this is what happens with the with the microscopy, with the fluorescent microscopy, and with this high-quality image, we will see uh, in detail where these molecules were were being expressed. For instance, if we want to identify insulin, we will put one antibody anti-insulin, and then that detects and binds the insulin, and then the light that goes through this antibody, and then we will have in the image a precise distribution of the insulin in the different cells and where it was this insulin and how, how, how it looks in the, in the, in the big picture. Hmm. And here at La Jolla Institute, we have different uh, microscopes which have a really, really good quality to process these images, to obtain these images, and allows us even to quantify uh, which, which particular cells are expressing this molecule, how much of this molecule is being expressed for these cells or for these other cells, which is the distance between the, the cells that are expressing that and how far or how close they are from our cells of interest. So it's really, really interesting um, how with these um, microscopy techniques we can really interrogate the samples and, and obtain good questions yeah. and good, good answers. Right. I mean, it sounds like there's some incredible opportunities. That, yeah. That the, the evolution of the technology, thankfully, it, it helps us to really move forward in the field because in, in the past 20 years ago, uh, really interesting questions were being formulated, but or 30 years ago, but we didn't have uh, maybe so precise means to determine, um, to see the answers. Now we have better systems, and this always helps us, mm. and the systems are still improving, so this is not something stopped at all, so it's still in development, it's a, it's a work in progress thing. Very so, exciting times. Really, really, yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we let you go, I want to ask you one more question. What, maybe in the next 
five years would you like to accomplish with your research? What are your goals? What would, what would you count as a victory? Yeah. So if I, in the next five years, I think I'm going to be able to increase uh, the knowledge about part of the story that's going on in the pancreas in type 1 diabetes. This is, so if I can uh, provide um, clear answers to some of the questions that we really have, I will feel happy about that. Mm -hmm. The long-term goal obviously would be to be able to impact how we treat uh, the patients, how to improve the treatment, but we are not really five years close to that, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, realistically. In my, realistically, um, you never know, no? Right, you yeah, you could stumble optimistic. across something yes. that changes the world. It's Ex possible. Exactly, this, this can happen, but how I see the things, maybe it's a little bit in a longer path, a longer path. Okay. Yeah. But I will feel satisfied if I can provide good answers to the questions that I already have, which are a lot. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have a lot of questions. And I think it is about baby steps. You know, I hate using that term because it, it kind of takes away from the magnitude of your studies. But it's through baby steps that we accomplish big things. The small steps, they lead into bigger victories. And uh, being realistic about the outcomes is, is uh, I think, a healthy way of approaching this. Knowing that, you know, we're not going to find a cure tomorrow if we're looking for the cure. We have to find the steps that lead to the cure. Yeah, we need to better understand the disease. Yeah. If we want to cure it, that we want, obviously, so much. Mm -hmm. So we really need to understand what's going on and in which stages the different problems are going on and how can we fix them. But we really first need to know what's going on. Not a part of the story. We need the whole picture of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of these techniques that are being developed will probably help to to, to better understand these these processes. Mm. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing where your studies lead you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you. This community that's listening to us, they are also so appreciative because you're helping create a world full of hope. You're creating a world that has that holds potential for making life easier for a lot of people living with diabetes and. Uh, I think that's very admirable, and I thank you for your, your time today, but also for your time that you put into your studies. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. All right, everyone, that is it for today's episode at Pardon My Pancreas. If you are uh, happy with these, check out the other episodes, subscribe, share them around, and as always, keep up the fight.